Welcome to episode 93 of the Night Shift. Mike Stubbs and Kyle Grimard. You can find Kyle on socials at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. You can find me at Stubbs980. We are getting close to the announcement of Canada's World Junior Team. If you are listening to this before the announcement, well, yep, we're getting close. If you're listening to it after the announcement... The announcement's been made, so we're going to talk about what happens at Selection Camp. We're also going to take you to Frank Caprice. Frank Caprice played for the London Knights from 1979 to 1982, was a goaltender, went and played in the Canucks organization, played on Team Canada in 1982, and was on the team that started the tradition of singing O Canada. And there's a very key reason why this is now a tradition, why it had to happen in the first place. It goes to the fact that they were playing in a rink that didn't have a recording of O Canada. So the guys came out and sang it. Frank will tell that story, where they were, what the World Juniors was like. And he will do that later on in the episode. We'll hear from Bob Martin, who has been a fixture with Hockey Canada for a long time and has been with Team Canada at the World Championship, the World Juniors, the World Cup, and is finally ah, taking a little bit of time away from the World Junior Tournament after nine consecutive years. Bob has all kinds of stories and championships under his belt and is a phenomenal guy, works with the London Knights. And so he'll take us behind the scenes at Selection Camp. Talk about what that's like. Talk about what cut day or cut night is like. That's a difficult time because you've got guys who are so close. And then we've got a couple of games to recap. The Knights in the Sioux, a 5-4 loss that they almost won. Controversial game-winning goal for Sioux St. Marie. And then the London Knights may have played, Kyle, their best game of the season against the Saginaw Spirit. We'll get to that, too. Yes, we really will. And and there's a lot to pack in here with a couple of games, players not being in the Knights lineup from the Friday to the Sunday. And of course, uh, all of Team Canada, all that fun right now. But, you know, as we mentioned beforehand, uh, Mike, four, there are three members, sorry, of the London Knights, Easton Cowan, Denver Barkey, Oliver Bonk, all with Team Canada right now during the selection camp. They play a couple of games, the Tuesday, Wednesday games. And normally the way that the lines work out, they 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 split up into groups and they have two groups practicing to kind of get the most out of their very limited ice time that they have right now. Uh, currently at the moment, they have Denver Barkey kind of on like a third line slash pairing uh, with only two members on it. And then, Mike, you've got Easton Cowan, who's part of the second group right now. And, and he's kind of slotted in a line on the left side with Owen Beck of Peterborough and then Braden Yeager of Moose Jaw as well. And I'm there's a lot of a lot of energy and and can be at times bring a lot of physicality as well. So I'm wondering if we're getting a little indication as to what that's going to be. Oliver Bonk with the first group is slated on the top pairing on the right side as well. I don't know what to make of it right now because things can obviously change over the course of a couple of days, but that's a great sign for him. And I feel like it's all how you play over these next couple of games that will really determine. Maybe you're a guy who's potentially quote on the outside looking into the bubble and you have a heck of a two days and all of a sudden you're on the first, second, third line contributing in a completely different way. We'll see how it all unfolds. Yes. And remember, you can go in as the 13th forward on Team Canada and wind up on the first line. We've seen example after example after example of that. Akil Thomas would have been considered on the 13th forward spot on the roster, and he wound up scoring the game-winning goal in a gold medal game. 
And so you just you want to find a way onto the team. And right now, Oliver Bonk is playing with Denton Matejchuk, and Matejchuk is 19 years old. He's a Blue Jackets prospect. That's a good sign for Oliver Bonk, but it does come down to U Sports. So let's go behind the scenes. Bob Martin took us behind the scenes of selection camp. What happens when the guys arrive, and then what happens through these U Sports games, and then he would be a guy who would help the players who would not make the team and would wind up going to the airport. And he's got quite the story about that as well. Here is Bob Martin of the London Knights, who this year is not with Team Canada at the World Juniors, but has spent the last nine years at the World Junior Hockey Championship. We would arrive Friday, and at the rink there'd probably be four to six skids of equipment and supplies already sent to just for this uh uh, camp and today the players would arrive so we're I'm going back and forth to the airport guys flying in uh, they're getting to the Toronto area guys we get dropped out by mom and dad and uh, then you at the airport you're wondering if uh, the equipment's all arrived guys are missing sticks and so we would get back to the hotel everybody gets checked in uh, quick medical and then, then right off they'll be skating tonight probably eight o'clock wow practice that fast yes you know it's a short period of time here um tuesday and wednesday they're right in the game playing the youth sports all-stars from across canada and again these guys are older 23 25 years old they're men and they've played in the ohl or in the chl we got a, they got a good hockey team so it's quite competitive and yeah how seriously would the youth sports guys take it do they go out and and want to win this, or do they appreciate? Okay, we're we're here so that players can be evaluated. Well, that's that's the first part. But where they come, you know, the first periods, they they feel our team out, and then then the intensity rises. And, but then the second game, it's it's a photo, it's a hockey game. People are competitive. Yes, they are. And then what is it that the guys go through? Is it? like most other training camps where you are being evaluated and then you know the, the guys talk a lot or, or is it a, a tense atmosphere um tense well everybody's excited to be there in the first place and they want to show show their best um, but yeah it's 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 a quick turnaround so as i say um uh, probably two practice a day for a couple of days and then the youth sport games and, and then comes the sad part uh cut day which I dreaded for the last nine years. Uh, I've had the job of going and knocking on the door and bringing the, the fine young man down to the, uh, meet with the coaches, and then uh, and then eventually probably take him to the airport. And, and for the guys to be that close, that close, that's got to be tough. It is. It's it's very tough. It's uh, like you're almost you're losing part of the family. It's when you it's not like an opposing team. They're like they're part of our team. It's you know. It's an honor just to be selected to go to the camp, let alone make the team. And uh, you know, when you have to drive that young man back to the airport, you know, it's it's a crucial conversation time with the fellow. You know, today's probably your worst day, and I'm going to come and watch you in the National Hockey League one day. So that's the type of mentality or a chat I try to have with them to build them up to, you know. And some of them, let's face it, some of them do have that where, yeah, you, you've been cut, but... The hockey's not over. You've you've got a, a bright future, bright career. Not at all. That's that's right. And uh, 
in the notes or letters or emails that I've got back from these players afterwards. And uh, it's, it's uh, pretty rewarding, you know, that you know you, you done something that day and, you know, to help that, uh, again, that young man uh, along to achieve his goals. And uh, to hear back from us is something else, yes. Finally, I guess, looking ahead to when the team is selected, what is it like when everybody gets together for that picture, when you know this is us right before you fly out? Well, the, the day of, of the cuts, well, the guys will finally get a, a, like a text saying, everybody meet down in the meal room, and there'll be congratulations and you know, welcome to Team Canada, that type of thing. And then it, uh, within a day, we're usually heading to the airport to fly over to Europe, wherever the, where the tournament be, like this year, Gothenburg, Sweden. And we'll do a stop at uh, uh, the Children's Hospital or something like that on our way to the airport and uh, do a visit there, and it's... Uh, it's quite rewarding to go to go there, and as as a team Canada, you see the excitement of people, and, and very way that the players see I'm playing for Team Canada. It's, it's a pretty proud moment, I guess. Bobby, thanks for this. Thanks, Mike. Bob Martin of the London Knights. One of the other things with Team Canada, it looked like Kevin Korczynski was going to be released by the Chicago Blackhawks in order to play in the tournament because he was placed on not playing for the Blackhawks, but that's not the case. Looks like he has family issues that he is dealing with, and the latest report is he's not going to be going to Team Canada, which is a help to any of the defensemen trying to make it because he would have occupied one of the spots. And now Canada taking on U Sports, so you're playing against, as Bob Martin alluded to, former OHLers who are now older and wiser. The competition level just picks up. Dalton Duhart has been having a phenomenal year with Queens, and he's playing in the game. Former Knight Brett Gibson, who coaches the Queens Gales, is coaching. And so there is some Knights flavor on the U Sports side. And former Knights captain Danny Savret always had a great description of these games. These guys are former CHL players that are now men. They're 23, 24 years old. They came out of the gates extremely hard on us, and we ended up beating them 5-1. Knights captain Danny Savret, that's... That's what it's like. You've got the guys who are older and they want to go out and win. And in the OHL, you're playing against guys who sometimes are two and three years older than you. This is the same sort of thing. Now you're up against guys, Kyle, who are 21, 22, maybe even 23. And those bodies change a whole lot. And as much as, yeah, this is don't go out and hurt anybody. Sure, nobody wants to get hurt at this. The competition and the competitive factor takes over. So this is always a tradition at the World Juniors. And it's a great way for the coaches to evaluate. Uh, yeah, and it doesn't matter too. The competition is always going to rise. These are either players currently playing with U Sports who are have played in the OHL or at some junior hockey that are still looking to, to prove certain things. And and now you're going up against you know all the players that for the next few weeks at the World Junior Hockey Championships are going to kind of be elevated, not put on a pedestal, but they're going to be put in the spotlight. They're going to be uh, factoring in and and honing in on these players and giving them a lot more attention than maybe what they would normally have with their teams right now. Respect. And so I, I can understand from the U sports side, there's a little bit of a, a chip on your shoulder to go out there and be like, listen, we got a couple of years on you boys. We're going to make sure that you know it. And it's good too, for the, for the, for the candidates for the world junior hockey championship, because you're playing some older guys, you're playing bigger bodies. It gives you a little bit more of like a, an experience level playing guys who might have that little edge on you and gets you ready for the tournament.
Absolutely. That's the whole key. Well, let's take a little trip back through the last two games that the London Knights played, one with a full roster, one without a full roster in Sault Ste. Marie, and both ended up being tight games off the start. The Knights kind of blew things open against Saginaw and ended up with a 7-3 win. Kyle, best game the Knights have played this season? What do you think? It's right up there, Mike, and it, it has nothing to do with the score. It has nothing to do with, you know, like the, the back and forth. It's that they got off to a hot start, something that, you know, we hadn't really seen from them, especially at home over the last couple of games. But not only that, the last time they played Saginaw, which was only six days prior to this meeting on the Friday, you know, London came out with a fast start, but then they allowed Saginaw to get back into the game. Even when the Knights exploded in the first period with five goals, every time Saginaw scored or felt like they were gaining momentum, London took it right back. And there was no way at any point in this game that it felt like Saginaw was going to claw their way back in and either tie it or get close. Because the moment it happened, London was able to counteract the punch and you know, throw one of their own. It was one of those times where, you know, you often test a team as to how resilient they are. When when you score, when you take a punch, you throw one back, you want to see how your opponent responds. This was, a, was, I think, one of the better games that London had where when Saginaw responded, they came right back with an answer. And it was from start to finish, maybe one of their more complete games of the year. And they showed how they can play. Players will talk about it. Hey, we, we know we have a level we can hit. That was the level right there, and it was the last game before Oliver Bonk and Denver Barkey and Easton Cowan went away to selection camp, and you have to think that there has been a lot of that weighing on those players going up to Team Canada's selection camp announcement because that's that's a stress for players who are hoping to be invited, and it's it's like all the stress was gone and they could just go out and play how they can play, and if that's what they can do... This team put them on the scary list because that's still what they can be this year. So we'll see what happens as we move forward. And then Sunday against Sault Ste. Marie, you look at this game, it's set up for you to lose 7-3. to three. And the Knights didn't. Isaiah George, Sean. Sam Dickinson, Sean in this game. Max McHugh now has three goals in his last three games. Jacob Julian, another point. He has 23 points in his last 12 games. It now covers wow. a complete calendar month. And the production has been outstanding. Sam O'Reilly, a couple of assists. This game was marred a little bit by something that can happen. And it was a goal that was scored by Jack Beck in the second period. It didn't look right as Sault Ste. Marie went in across the blue line. And sure enough, they were able to review it. And they were looking at whether or not Beck was offside. Now, there are two feeds in this game. There's an in-house feed and there is the TV feed. And here's the story that I've been able to get from this. The in-house feed, if you look at a freeze frame, and again, this is always up to the officials, but if you looked at a freeze frame, there appeared to be white ice between Jack Beck's skate and the blue line before the pocket entered the zone, making the play offside. That was the in-house feed. Apparently, the officials did not have that feed, and they were going off the TV feed, which showed a different angle, and that's where they made the call. Ultimately, the goal stood up, and the goal counted, and that gave Sault Ste. Marie, at that point, a 4-3 lead. London and Bryce McConnell-Barker would make it 5-3. Landon Sim tightened it up late, but the Knights could not come back all the way. A valiant effort 
And it's unfortunate that you can look back and say, oh, that, that looked offside on the one feed. Well, ultimately, it's the referee's decision. And they did not apparently have that feed. So that's why it stood up. So anybody wondering about the offside call, that's the best story that I can give to you as to what it was. You shrug it off. These things happen. You hope that if there was an issue and maybe if that in-house feed can be made available to the officials, now you have an example of, okay, now we need those two feeds in Sault Ste. Marie if if we can possibly have them for the officials. So that's where we sit. And it's a win and a loss. And now the Knights move on to Windsor on Thursday. Then they will play Owen Sound on Friday, December 15th. And then they wrap up the pre-holiday schedule against the high-flying Sudbury Wolves in a 2 o'clock start on December 17th. It's going to be a lot of fun, a rampant way to end off as well. And it'll be good. You know, I, I... the, that game against the Sioux, Mike, it's one of those games where, yes, you're coming off of a loss and it's it's a game where, yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, quote, controversy involved in, in one of the goals. But, you know, you see how the biggest, you know, I think theme or, or scare around them was like, oh, three of their four top scores are not there. How are they going to possibly put the puck in the net? And then you go over the names, like you said, of Isaiah George and Sam Dickinson, who have been outstanding all season long. Isaiah George is a draft pick of the New York Islanders and Max McHugh has been to multiple NHL camps and uh, Sam O'Reilly has really come into his own in this year. And Jacob Julian is a draft pick of the Winnipeg. Like there are other players on this team that can step up and score and have been scoring for this team. It's just a matter of a couple individuals no longer being there and just getting more opportunities for the guys that have already shown they can take it. So I think that was a good step for them. Sometimes calls don't go the way you want them to. We saw this. I'm, we saw it on the weekend with Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills and offside <laughs> call that Patrick Mahomes clearly thought was ridiculous, but it happens sometimes and it's how you grow and how you move on from that moment. And we're going to see how it happens over these next three games. Absolutely. Well, they will be the three games that close out a pre-holiday schedule for the London Knights. We'll preview them a little later on this week, and certainly we'll talk about what Team Canada looks like and whether there are any London Knights names on it. Kasper Haltonen and Finland, also something to look for. But let's finish off talking World Juniors because you know the tradition. You know the tradition after Canada wins gold, which somehow for Canada... Somehow Canada is expected to do this against world powers year after year after year. They do it. They do it a lot. And when it happens, they sing O Canada at the top of their lungs at center ice, arm in arm. It's been a tradition going all the way back into the 80s. And it began on a team that featured London Knights goaltender Frank Caprice. He won gold with Canada In 1982, in a tournament played in the United States, the World Juniors was very different back then. You didn't need 10,000, 18,000-seat rinks in order to host this tournament. Frank Caprice played for the Knights 1979 to 1982, went on to play six seasons in the National Hockey League, over 100 games in net with Vancouver. Then he went to Italy and then the UK, and we sat down with Frank to relive some memories from 1982. We flew to Winnipeg, and uh, we, we started in Winnipeg, and then we played, uh, I think, our first two or three games in Winnipeg, and then we uh, went to uh, the States, and we played in Minnesota, and I, we, I think we even played one game in Kenora. Uh, it's, it's a long time ago, and I can't remember all the specific details, but we weren't in one location, that's for sure. Uh, and 
there was a lot of, uh, you know, traveling, but, uh, it really, I don't think it really affected us. We, we, it gave us time to come together as a team and get to know each other. Frank, what was it like to be selected to play for team Canada at that time? For me personally, at, at you know, being a goaltender, it, I was, I was surprised, you know, I had confidence in my skill, but when, when we went to training camp, you know, Grant Fuhrer was there, Mike Moffat, myself, Mike Sands, and, and there were a lot of good goalies, and, and everybody expected Grant Fuhrer to, you know, I think Glenn Healy was there. Everybody expected Grant Fuhrer to be one of the goalies, and uh, one of our last scrimmages in warm-up, I broke, uh, I, I broke the blade on my skate. So I was supposed to start. So they said, Hey, you're starting no matter what. Use somebody else's skates. And Mike, Mike Sands let me use his skates. They didn't fit, but I used them. And I think they scored six goals on me in my, my portion of that, that game. And I just left and said, There's no way I'm making this team now. And uh, come Christmas, um, sitting in the hotel and, and, and as they came down knocking on all the doors, I remember being in, in the room with Gordy Kluzak and we were looking at our people and as they came down with the um, with the clipboard, we were looking out and we saw we saw the person look down at the clipboard and bypass our door. So we knew we had made the team. And we just jumped up and hugged each other and then I remember on the bus ride home after we won the gold medal asking asking uh the coach and asking the general manager, you know, why did you guys pick me? Like what, how did, how did I make the team over some of these other goalies who I really respected and, and, and admired? And they said, Frank, we were looking more, we were looking not only for skill set, we were looking for how the team would fit together. You know, you, we followed you throughout, you know, their season with the Knights uh, after training camp. And, and, and we just believed that you were a good fit for the team in addition to the skill set that uh, that Coach King really liked that I had specifically was my ability to be agile. So, you know, I just I was just overwhelmed by by the whole process. We are talking with Frank Caprice, first London Knight to win gold at the World Juniors for the first Canadian team that won gold at the World Juniors. And it was a complete round robin then, and some of the scores were kind of lopsided. I mean, you guys won a game 7 nothing over the Soviet Union and 11-3 over West Germany. But this tournament ultimately came down to you versus Czechoslovakia in a game on January the 2nd. And was it that if they won, they win gold? If you win, you win gold? Was it as close to a gold medal game as there could be? Yeah, it, that was exactly it. If, if we had to win or tie the game, and they had to just win the game. They couldn't tie. So uh, it, we tied and ended up winning the gold medal. And uh, it was a great game. And, and my partner, Mike Moffat, uh, was outstanding in net. Uh, he got to play the final game. We split. He started He started the tournament. And, and I, I went second. So we just, Dave King just said, you guys are going to play one game at a time. And we, we, I remember we were, they had put us out in some rank, not outside of Minnesota. That was like, and had this short roof. There was no, 
you know, there was no TV coverage. There was no, barely any radio coverage that I can remember. There was maybe a thousand people at, at the rink. It was like a recreational rink that we played the final gold medal game in. Isn't that wild? And I think anybody who has seen the end of that game will remember all of you along the blue line, arm in arm, singing O Canada. You were the guys who started that tradition. <laughs> we were because they didn't even have our national anthem to play at that arena. So we just, uh, as as crazy and as excited we, as we were, we just started singing and, and we're so overwhelmed and overjoyed to be able to do that. And, and there's some people even now, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll get a text or a message and they'll say, hey, I just, I just saw your team in 1982 singing on, on, on TSN. That is former London Knights goaltender Frank Caprice. And there wow. is a picture in the London Knights offices of Frank Caprice. His daughter found it, contacted the Knights, said, would you like this? There's a picture of my dad in a Knights uniform. He's got the big hair. And they said, absolutely. And it now hangs in one of their offices. So Frank Caprice, still famous in London and a great story. Kyle, we'll see what happens with the World Junior Team. And we will preview Windsor. Actually, no. We'll, do you want to do it on Friday? Yes, do Friday. Yeah. And we will recap what happens for the Knights in Windsor. Remember, last time they played there was a 10-7 final that the Knights won. No doubt this one will be 2-1 in a shootout or something like that. (laughs) Just the way junior hockey goes. There were four goals in a minute and 29 seconds in Sault Ste. Marie. Just the way junior hockey goes. And then we'll set up Owen Sound and Sudbury to close things out before the Knights get a holiday break. Should be nice and hopefully a little break for everybody else as well and catch up on all of our podcasts here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Follow Stubbs. He calls every single game on 980 CFPL in London at Stubbs 980. Myself at Kyle Grimard. Mike, we'll see you Friday. Sounds great.